we got just enough bookings from people who live in drivable big cities to these areas like Atlanta, uh, Nashville, Birmingham, that they live in small condos or apartments. And they said, well, if I'm going to be stuck in my house for the foreseeable future, how about I rent yours so that I have more space? You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions. I'm your host, Bill Risser. Listen in as I interview leaders in our industry, getting their stories and their journeys to the world of real estate. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 241 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and thank you for telling a friend. I have a first on today's episode, which after nearly five years and 240 episodes is kind of tough to do. But for the first time, I'm going to be talking to a realtor who specializes in short-term rentals. Yep, short-term rentals. Think Airbnb. It's a very interesting strategy she adopted as she got into the business. And short-term rentals with a combo of long-term rentals has created quite the opportunity for her. We'll be talking to Avery Carl. Her group is called the Short-Term Shop, brokered by EXP Realty. She's out of Nashville, Tennessee. And I can't wait to get her story. Avery, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm so excited because I've never really had anyone that specializes in short-term rentals on the show before. So this is going to be a huge learning experience for me and I know for a lot of people to listen to the show. So uh, once again, thanks for being here. But first of all, I like to find out where people are from. And uh, <laughs> I know you live in Nashville now and you've got a little bit of Texas in you. There was bit. some New York in your life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you were born and raised in Mississippi. Whereabouts? Starkville, Mississippi. Wow, Mississippi State, yes, Stark I'm Vegas. I'm surprised you know that. <laughs> so, so wait a minute, SEC Stark Vegas, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so um, you ended up moving away to go to school, but before we talk about that, there's this music and sports piece to you that uh, <laughs> is not so much a part of your the real estate, Avery. Right. <laughs> uh, and because you did it, at, I think at a, both of those at a fairly high level, um, <laughs> that had to be a big part of your life growing up. Were you, were you were you playing sports your whole life? Were you how how quick did you pick up a guitar? How did all that work? Oh yeah, so I played soccer since kindergarten. That's how I went to University of Texas. I went on a soccer scholarship there, so I got pretty serious in junior high with the soccer and right. you know travel teams and stuff like that. Club soccer. Uh, I started playing guitar. I just started taking lessons when I was like fifteen. I liked my dad's old rock and roll records, and I wanted to learn how to play play guitar. So started that then, and then. Didn't start playing in bands and stuff until I moved to Austin. There's not a lot of bands to play in in Starkville, Mississippi. But <laughs> yeah, now, a, a good friend of mine's son is going to be a freshman this year at Mississippi State. So oh, okay, very excited. He's very excited about that. Awesome. You get the offer for a scholarship at Texas. Did you have any other offers that you had to choose between? I did <laughs> quite a few. Uh, Texas okay. was really good when I went. We we won the Big Twelve Championship the first year I was there. So I just did not. I, I actually got offers from all of the SEC schools except Florida. And I just didn't want to go to an SEC school. I wanted to get out of Mississippi and the Southeast in general. Austin is an awesome town. And I wanted to go somewhere where I could play music too. And so it just worked out perfect that way. Yeah. That, that guitar playing at the age of 15 probably weighed a little bit in the decision. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Austin, yeah. It did. Because that music scene is so huge in Austin and you know, you're now you're also playing, uh, you know, D1 soccer. How the, how the academic stuff go? Were you able to hold it all together? It seems like that would be quite the effort. Yeah, somehow I did. Graduated, went and got a master's degree afterwards. Uh, so held it all together. I'm one of those people that I have to be like insanely busy or else I'm not, or else I'm completely useless. So it was, it just kind of tied into that. 
Yeah. So it worked out. First job out of school. What'd you do f- when you first uh, graduated? I was a personal trainer at Gold's Gym. <laughs> <laughs> so that athlete in you went straight there. Right? Yeah. Well, and then I also graduated in 2009. So there weren't a lot of jobs happening around then either. <laughs> okay. And somehow you find your way into the music industry. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Played in bands, toured in a bunch of bands that nobody's ever heard of, uh, Europe, Japan, North America, several times. So, you know, I made a lot of contacts. And uh, after a little while, I kind of started to feel like, right, you know what, you've been working at this for a while. It You should probably not, you just kind of have to at some point say, okay, this isn't going to happen. It's time to, to move on to the big girl job. So I went back and got my master's. And uh, I had done a bunch of internships in college in Los Angeles with Capitol Records and Atlantic Records, some places like that. So had a few connections and just started working as a marketing manager in the music business that way. So I'm just going to guess we can't talk about them, but there must be lots of stories that you really can't tell on a podcast. I'm just Uh, sure. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I love that you said I, I have a couple of friends who were very good musicians, you know, had really good local bands, but it, I don't think people really realize just what a leap it is to be at that level, right? That uh, that means this is going to be my career. And, you know, it's very easy to just wake up one day and be 50 and have never made it. And, you know, now and now you're like, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> so I just I, didn't want to, I was always very conscious of that and didn't want to get to that point. So you've in the music industry, you're doing some things, you're, you go to New York, right? You travel around right. a little bit mm-hmm. with them. Um, mm-hmm. And somewhere along the way, you get kind of turned on to investing, real estate investing. So wh- where does that come from? Because that's not just something people just wake up one morning, as you mentioned, and go, wow, I'm really into real estate. Was there somebody who kind of kind of got you, set you down that path? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get into that until I got married and we moved to Nashville And our realtor at the time, this is well before I was licensed, uh, was trying to steer us towards this ultra hip part of Nashville because people were able to sell their houses two years after they bought them and cash these huge checks because they appreciated so much. And we were were moving from Brooklyn. We said, no, 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 we want to go out in the country. We're sick of neighbors. No more neighbors. Let's go to the country. And so we bought a house in the country and then started thinking, well, Maybe there was something to that. Maybe we should buy one of these little houses and just rent them. And we'd never listened to a podcast, read a book. We didn't know what cash flow was. We were just like, oh, let's do this. Let's try this thing. Maybe we can sell it and send our kid to college one day when future kid, we didn't have any kids at the time. And uh, so we did it. Luckily, that one cash flows $1,000 a month. It's just a little single family. We got super lucky, bought it right off the MLS. Uh, But after we got that first rent check, we thought, okay, this is something we need to do some more of. So then we started educating ourselves after we'd already pulled the trigger on something and reading and listening. And at the time, we didn't have a lot of capital to invest. So we had one more down payment saved up. And we said, okay, how can we maximize this to where we can make the most amount of money possible so that we can go and buy some more of these as quickly as possible? So we came up with the idea of, well, let's do a short-term rental. Let's do an Airbnb. Didn't want to do Nashville because the regulations are just way too volatile. So we thought about places that we wouldn't have to worry about that. And we'd been on vacation to the Smoky Mountains a few times. I grew up going there and I thought, well, we always rented cabins there. Let's just buy a cabin and put it on Airbnb. And so we did that. That went so well. Again, we didn't have any help or guidance or anything. Just again, taking shots in the dark (laughs) or not total shots in the dark, uh, calculated shots in the dark. and. um, 
that worked so well. We scaled that into five within about a year. I got licensed somewhere in there so that I could do our deals. And it kind of just skyrocketed from there. It went from doing our own deals to friends saying, you're making how much on that cabin? Oh, I want one. So doing their deals, teaching them how to manage it. And then it's turned into this big business. Now I have offices in three states and I work only with investors. I'm an agent, work only with investors and we help them analyze and find the best property uh, for the best cash flow. Then we also get them all set up with the tools that they need to be able to short-term rent it themselves from wherever they live without having to hire a property manager. Yeah, I've I've heard a couple of your episodes of, of podcasts you've done for other people, and you don't. Yeah, you're you have this methodology for not using um, a property manager, and I think you know the the key is to have some the, the right people in place. Right, totally. So there's definitely a time and a place for property managers, but it's not like with long terms where they're charging just ten percent. You know, that might be like fifty bucks. You know, per yeah. property with short terms. If, if your goal is to scale quickly and to you know take all this money and snowball it into more properties, a property manager is the fastest way to lose money. But once you get to a point where that doesn't matter so much anymore, then you know maybe it's time to step in with a property manager. So I'm not anti-property manager, but they're just not going to make the money that you're going to make yourself. But the key is you do have you, your cleaner and your handy person are your two core people. Uh, from there, you can build out your team. Like your cleaner is going to know an HVAC person, your handyman's going to know a contractor and you can build it out from there. But it, those are your two key people. And that's, it's very hard to find those people when you don't live in the market, because a lot of times they're not building beautiful websites and spending money on SEO so that you can find them. So uh, that's, that's what we do for our clients. And, and no matter what market you buy in, you, you pr- need to find an agent that has those that network in place so that they can help you build your business and build your portfolio. Yeah. I, I see now that you've, uh, you've aligned with EXP. I like that mm-hmm. the short-term shop is powered or brokered by EXP. Right. <laughs> um, that must be a great resource for you. Maybe when you're looking at another area, do you, do you tend to try to find someone with EXP there that maybe has some knowledge? Have you, is that a, a kind of a referral network for you? Sometimes, sometimes. So I just, so we're in three states now. We're in the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. We're in the Destin, Panama City Beach, Florida area, and then the Gulf Shores, Alabama area. I just get licensed in every area that we're opening an office and just build the business from there. And then I start bringing on agents so that I have the initial control of everything. But then as I need the agents, I bring them on. Uh, But EXP has been awesome. Like I have one of the top agents in Florida. I can just call up and say, Hey, what do I do about this? And you know, he's been doing it much longer than me, 20 years. Like I have this weird situation. What do I do? And he's got an answer. So it's definitely really cool. The connections that you make just from the whole multi-level marketing piece, like who's in your upline. Cause if you're, if you're selling places, they're making money. So they're going to answer the phone <laughs> when you call with <laughs> a question. Yeah. They're, they're pretty good about that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about what it looks like for you today. I, um, you know, how many properties do you own and manage? And and is it, do you have a mix? I mean, I know we're talking about short-term, but you said that one that's been cash flowing so well, that's a traditional long-term rental. So what does it look like for you? So we have 26 or 28 doors total. Six of them are short-term rentals, uh, five in the Smokies, one in Destin. And uh, it's really important to keep your portfolio diversified. So our goal was never to just build a big short-term rental empire. It was to build enough wealth through the short-term rentals, enough heavy cash flow coming in that we can go scale. You know the try and tried and true method. Let me let me ask you about 
the current conditions today? Obviously, I'm sure you've talked a lot about what's happening with the pandemic because look, Airbnb went in Uber and all these companies were having huge struggles through this time because no one was really leaving their homes. Obviously, hopefully your long terms are hanging in there, but mm-hmm. but those are also possible uh, situations. So let's talk about that in general. Sure, sure. So the long terms, we had 100% rent paid in March and April, which were the two you know worst months. With the short terms, obviously March and April sucked. We lost every single booking, but uh, the cool thing that you know, it wasn't cool at the time, but now that we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, we have all this great data on it. Uh, we got just enough bookings from people who live in drivable big cities to these areas like Atlanta, uh, Nashville, Birmingham, that they live in small condos or apartments. And they said, well, if I'm going to be stuck in my house for the foreseeable future, how about I rent yours so that I have more space? And so we got just enough bookings of that sort that we were able to break even if it lasted longer, we probably would have had to dip into cash reserves, which is a topic for another podcast, but uh, important to have. <laughs> yes. But now as of the past, in the past month, our bookings have exploded. We are getting higher prices per night than ever, even holiday prices, because everybody is just so sick of being cooped up. They don't want to get on a plane to go anywhere. They don't want to go to a big metropolitan area they're driving to these leisure markets where we own properties. And it's always kind of been my theory that these types of drivable regional vacation rental markets are going to be the most recession resistant. And, you know, this was a 100% worst case scenario that nobody saw coming. And here we are, you know, roughly 12 weeks since, you know, the worst of it. And we're already back like crazy. It's slammed. So barring any, major second waves or big surprises and shutdowns, we're, we're looking pretty darn good in our markets. So uh, that's some really good data to have for the future, for sure. Right. Because, you know, I, I'm in Tampa, St. Pete, and there are, you know, there are lots of Airbnbs down here and lots of regulations surrounding them as well, as you talked about. I like you called it volatility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a great word for it. That's, yeah. a, that's a better way of saying it. Um, but this is kind of more of a you know, fly here and you stay at one of those places, right? You're right. talking. Yeah. So, so we've got, um, in this whole in this whole rental space, you've you kind of you're talking about three different kind of pieces to the puzzle, right? Long term, short term, mm-hmm. drivable, short term, fly-in. Am I kind of is that the way you would describe that? Yeah. So there's three types of markets that people buy short term rentals in. There's metro markets, which I don't touch. I don't recommend. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money doing it. It's not my thing. I don't recommend it. Um, then there's the fly to markets like you or Hawaii or Disney. And then there's the drivable markets like Destin. Myrtle Beach is another one that I'm not in. Uh, the Smokies, places like that, where the majority of tourists all the time that are coming there anyway are driving in. You've been doing this for how long now? Five years. So you already have regulars who know and come back and book in advance and all that great stuff? Or is it really ever changing for you? It's ever changing. A lot of people can get really caught up and, oh, you know, I I want people to come back. And of course, we want people to come back. We want them to like our places, but you don't have to depend on repeat business. There's so, so many tourists and, you know, we try to make sure we only buy in places that do have several million tourists at the least coming in every year so that we don't have to depend on, you know, these few people who come every year. You said you so you don't do regular residential at all. That's, oh, uh, oh, for sales, no, not at all. Yeah, but you have agents who will in your no, office. So no. are they really? It's all about short term. Everyone who works on my team 
We only do short-term vacation rentals. Everybody who works on my team is some sort of an investor. They don't necessarily all own short-term rentals. Most of them do, but some of them are flippers. I've got a guy who just sold a paid-off commercial property for $2 million. So he's just hanging out for a little while doing some real estate. So everybody on our team is an investor and knows what they're doing, but we don't, we 100% focus on vacation rentals. Awesome. So if I'm um, a wannabe investor, I, and I, have no exp- I have no idea what I'm doing. What, what are you going to tell me? What are like maybe the three key things I need to know before I, I go down this path? Well, you want to, whatever market you decide to go to go with, you need to, number one, look at the regulations because even though there are some markets out there that are true vacation rental markets. There's still some regulations, like even in Destin, where one of ours is uh, super, super friendly towards them. They will never outlaw them, but there are some rules. Like you, you, they don't want you going north of Highway 98, which all the beaches are south of Highway 98. So you don't want to buy up there anyway. But you just want to make sure that you're buying in an area that's zoned for it and that the regulations are favorable. Uh, and then number two, you just want to make sure location wise that you're where you need to be in proximity to the attractions of the area. So in the beach market, you want to make sure you're walkable to the beach in the mountain markets. It's a little more flexible as long as you're kind of within like a 20 minute drive of a couple of the main things and you're in good shape. People kind of want to be out by themselves in the mountains. So regulations, location, and then obviously cash flow. You want to just take a look at everybody else around you. What are they doing? You go on Airbnb and look at your potential neighbors and VRBO. What are they getting per night? How booked are they? Uh, AirDNA is also a really good resource, although their data is not perfect. It is very helpful. It, it is a data point. Uh, that you can use. It's it's pretty accurate in the few markets that I'm in. There's some little things, but for the most part, fairly accurate. And then there are a few really big national property managers who have access to expensive data that we don't. And they're happy to give you projections on what a potential property can do, like Vacasa, uh, Evolve, Turnkey, those kind of people. Uh, if you give them a call, they'll be able to tell you, you know, use their data to, to give you an idea. So you can, you get all these data points and kind of triangulate what, what the actual number you're going to be able to do is. Do some of your investors stick with just short term and don't kind of use your model of trying to, you know, increase the number of long terms? This is just their thing. They just like that, that heavy cash flow. Some of them do that. And some of them yeah. are like, why in the world would you go buy a duplex in Chattanooga at a long term rent when you could make this much? I like having a diverse portfolio. (laughs) It's really all that it is. And those don't require, you know, even though the short-term rentals are easy work, they're still work. Whereas the, uh, the long terms, you know, you kind of set it and forget it until somebody has a problem, but my husband manages those. So I don't have to deal with them. (laughs) And we've got a BA who helps us a lot now. Do you put home warranties on all those long terms? Not usually. No, Not usually. I'm just curious (laughs) if that would be a way to kind of help offset a cost or. It, pro- it probably could. It's just all of our long terms are C class. They're like one step above section eight. So, you know, things just mysteriously happen sometimes <laughs> that aren't necessarily covered under a home warranty. How about how about just working with Airbnb in general? Um, mm-hmm. Have you noticed a change there in the last couple of months? I mean, with publicly, you see the CEO on a lot of <laughs> network shows talking about what's going on there. So, but for you as a, a client of theirs, I imagine that's how we look at that. Mm-hmm. How, is that all still the same? I think that I, like many, many other hosts now are not as happy with some of the decisions that they made during COVID, uh, 
as we are with some of the other platforms. I kind of think, I mean, they're kind of having to take their medicine a little bit now. They lost their IPO. And I, and I think a lot of the decisions that they made were to try and salvage that, but they just couldn't. But I think we're all a little more aware of, of that now. Uh, and for those who don't know, uh, Airbnb during COVID completely overrode all of the cancellation policies that we as owners had. Uh, so ours were, it, we had a super strict cancellation policy. So if you cancel, I think it's two weeks or further out, then you get half your money back. If you cancel within two weeks, you don't get any money back. They just made it where everybody gets their money back no matter what. And they were keeping the Airbnb fee. They weren't refunding that, but they were refunding what was coming out of our pockets. So they're, they're definitely catching some heat. There's some lawsuits going on there. I, I kind of think it's a good opportunity for another platform to arise from this. But at the end of the day, they are we are a little bit, I don't want to say a slave to them, but they do have one of the biggest platforms. So we're not going anywhere, unfortunately, but I think they do need to watch their step a little bit with the, the treatment of the right. hosts. They might open the doors. Kind yeah. of <laughs> I mean, look, Lyft, Lyft, Lyft showed up and made a huge impact on mm-hmm. Uber. So there's, you know, you never know. We'll have to yeah. see. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I would think that, um, those, those, those network platforms where they connect people that have, you know, properties and people who want rooms, got to keep that relationship working both ways smoothly. Yeah. They can't just be tilted one side to the consumers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And some of the other platforms like VRBO said, okay, well, we're not going to give you a, a refund, but we'll give you a credit for the future. So that was, I mean, none of it was ideal for anyone, but that was a little bit more of a middle ground than just here, take everybody's money, but not ours. We're going to keep our 25%, but take the host money. The pandemic was completely, uh, unprecedented and there was no way to prepare for it. I know that uh, Bill Gates talked about it like three years ago, that that was going to be the one thing that was going to be a huge impact on mm-hmm. the world, but we didn't really listen to him. And Why would we? we? It, it, all, <laughs> things it were going sounded great. crazy. So it, yeah. So it all took us by surprise. Now that you know this is here, are there some major changes you're going to make in your business You know, going forward so you're, you're prepared? Well, unless there's something else coming down the pipe that is as much of a surprise as this was, uh, you know, we're just making sure that everything is extra clean. Like we are making extra, extra sure that all doorknobs, because, you know, that wasn't always necessarily part of the cleaning procedure. Doorknobs, handles, not just flat surfaces are being disinfected. Uh, We're definitely making sure, too, that we have workspaces for people. So if something like this happens again, please come social distance at our house. We have Wi-Fi and look at all these delivery places that come here and we have the beach. So um, we want to make sure that that it's attractive to social distancers and remote workers as well. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, these are vacation rental markets and you do just need to have cash reserves in place because stuff happens. Yeah. I like that idea of uh, having almost a a marketing plan in the can ready to go. You know, to, 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 to roll out instead of just vacation. Hey, we've got this great place yeah. and you can come to your work here for a month yeah. or two and maybe we'll give you a little break. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. I got to go back to the rock sure. and roll thing for a second. Happy because, yeah. okay. <laughs> Look, I love I, rock and roll. I grew up, <laughs> so do I. And I grew up in the, um, you know, late seventies, early eighties was my heyday. That's when I was in my early teens and late teens, I'm sorry, early twenties. <laughs> And there was a band out there. Um, there were a few female bands, but Vixen was in the hair band days, a very uh, well-known hair band. And I know you know <laughs> someone on that band. Know them you, all, helped, you helped you helped <laughs> you, you helped you helped Sharon uh-huh. Ross actually get into yeah. real estate. Is that 
So let's, how does that happen? Let's hear. Okay, that so I've always been into rock and roll, specifically seventies and eighties. Like I have a, I've, you can't see it. I've got a Joan Jett original Mark Weiss print over here. I've got a Joan Jett tattoo. I've got like the whole thing. I love rock and roll totally. <laughs> okay. uh, so my husband, I met my husband at an eighties rock band show in uh, in Brooklyn. In uh, the name of the band was Faster Pussycat. Is like the sleaziest band not anywhere you would ever expect to meet the person that you're going to marry <laughs> um and he is a dj on sirius xm on the 80s rock channel and then on the ozzy osbourne channel it's just called ozzy's boneyard and so he hosts a lot of festivals and cruises and uh, i go on the monsters of rock cruise with him every year that he hosts and so um, he knew he knew everybody already but that's how i met Cher was being on the cruise and we just over the years have become friends. It's probably been like 10 years now. And um, I just, after I got into real estate, I was like, you'd be really good at this. You should try this. And then she did. And, uh, and she's awesome at it. So <laughs> she's doing, she's doing a really great job. She's down in South Florida, like Delray beach area. That's yeah. great. I, I just love that. I, lo- I just love <laughs> hearing um, all the stories. So uh, I, I'm going to wrap up the time okay. I've, I've had almost here the half hour I asked and I want to, wrap up with the same final question I've asked every guest, right? From actually Glenn Sanford has been on the show. And so, you know, the founder of EXP <laughs> and uh, the question is this, and so it's going to be a little different for you, but, but um, you know, what advice would you give somebody new to the industry, a new agent just starting? What, what, what one piece of advice would you give them? I would tell them that there are riches in the niches. So if you try to be somebody who wants to serve everybody all the time, you're not going to be serving anybody all the time. So uh, I don't take, primary home buyers because I am not a good primary home agent. It annoys me when people don't want to buy something because of things that are easily changeable, like a paint color. I can't deal with it. I'm not a good agent for that. But, you know, people who want to know how much money this is going to make them and is it going to change their life and be, you know, an extra stream of income for their family, that I'm good at. So whatever it is you're good at, whether, you know, it's not always going to be Oh, you're going to work with investors. That's my niche. Maybe you're working with first-time homebuyers only, or maybe you're working with retirees only. Uh, you'll find the thing that you're good at and just stick with that and don't try to be everything to everyone all the time because you're going to suck at all of it if you do that. Avery, if uh, someone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, my uh, my website, theshorttermshop.com. It's got my email, my phone number right on there. You can get me almost any time of the day or night and uh, that's the best way to do it. I can't thank you enough for your time today. This was really cool. I got, I mean, for me, this, this, this rock fantasy thing is just so cool. But then also the short-term stuff, like I said, this is uh, nearly five years, 240 episodes. This is the first time I've talked about this topic. So thank you very much for being the one to do that. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I had such a good time. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. To leave a review or rating, go to ratethispodcast.com slash RE Sessions. You can also subscribe to the podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. Finally, you can go to therealestatesessions.com and subscribe to our email newsletter and be notified whenever a new episode is released. (laughs) 